Well, once again, church, I welcome you this morning. Our scripture comes from Luke 14, 25 through 33. It will be found in page 850 in your pew Bible. Now, large crowds were traveling with him and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying... This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks them for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can come become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Mark Batterson is a pastor who tells a story about hiking the Grand Canyon with his son. Now, the hike that they did, the trails they took, over the course of two days, they traveled 29 linear miles. In the midst of that, they also descended and then ascended a mile um, along the way. And they did all of this over the course of two days in 110-degree weather. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about that, too. Uh, anybody in here ever hiked the Grand Canyon before to the bottom and back up again? Whew. God bless you guys. Hey, I just Here's the reason I'm telling you this story. So, Batterson came up out of the rim after two days of, of this grueling thing. He said it was the hardest thing he'd ever done physically in his life. And uh, he came up out and, and he saw these <laughs> he saw these people standing on an observation desk, deck eating ice cream cones <laughs> and commenting about how beautiful the view was. And he confesses in the book, he says, I, um, I started to think of them as the rim huggers. People who are just hugging, hugging their rim. He said, you know, you, you can't, you can't really understand the majesty of this. Just from looking at it on its surface, you've got to go down, you've got to go deep, you've got to go see for yourself. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because this series, this all-in series, is about trying to help us go from being rim huggers in our faith to being people who go deep and explore the depth and the beauty and the majesty of our great God and King. Our scripture passage, for today, I read it last week and challenged folks to read it throughout the course of the week. It comes from Luke chapter 14. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 14 is one of the hardest verses, in my opinion, in the Bible. It's here that Jesus says, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his sisters and brothers, his wife and children, even his own life, is not worthy to be my disciple. Now, as we talked about last week, that word misse for hate, that's the word Jesus used, misse, M-I-S-E-I. It's a comparative verb. It is comparing two things. 
Jesus is, is making sure that we draw a comparison here. It can be translated as hate or it can be translated as to love less than. But what Jesus is really trying to say is that if, if we want to follow him, he must be the one at the center of our lives. Now, there are moments in the course of our lives when we have a realization, a moment of clarity, if you will. Moments when we recognize, yeah, I've made some good decisions along the way, but God's standard isn't for me to make some good decisions along the way. God's standard for my life is absolute righteousness. And if I don't meet the standard of absolute righteousness, I haven't been good enough. When we begin to contemplate those things and we start to take our masks off, even just between us and God, we start to see ourselves for who we really are. We start to see that we actually have a lot of brokenness inside of ourselves. And in those moments, in that moment of clarity, our faith becomes really simple, calling us to do two things. First, to cling to grace. And secondly, our faith calls us to take the action of putting Jesus Christ at the center. That's what this text calls us to do. Jesus says, I must be at the center. You know how else you can understand this text? I think one way you can understand Luke chapter 14, which again, I think is one of the hardest passages in the Bible to wrestle with. I think what Jesus is asking us to do is he's saying, right now, in this moment, I am challenging you to fight the battle inside of yourself. Fight the battle inside of yourself right now, this moment. Win that battle that allows you to say to yourself, the next time that God calls me, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, the next time God nudges me, I'm going to say, yes. I've decided right now. Today, we go from talking about being all in, talking about what it looks like to be all out. How do we bring alignment to our lives? Once I say, yes, Jesus, you're going to be at the center of my life, how do I start bringing that alignment to my life? There's a, there's a movie out that's called um, We Bought a Zoo. It's about 10 years old now, I think. It stars Matt Damon. It's a story of a, of a true story of a guy by the name of Benjamin Mee. Benjamin Mee was a recent widower. He was uh, adjusting to be, being a single father because he, his wife had passed away. And Anyway, the story is about them buying a zoo, hence the, you know, the name We Bought a Zoo. Well, in the midst of the story, Benjamin Mee has this amazing quote. I just want to share it with you. He said, sometimes all we need in life is 20 seconds of insane courage. Sometimes all we need in life is 20 seconds of insane courage. 20 seconds. That's how long it took Peter to get out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee. 20 seconds. 20 seconds. That's how long it took David to charge a giant. 20 seconds. 20 seconds is how long it takes us to decide, yes, I am, yes, I am, I am all in and all out for Jesus Christ. Yes, I will share the faith with that person that God has placed in front of me. Yes, I will help them. Yes, I will give like I am actually grateful. 20 seconds is what it takes. When I was in the summer between my junior year of college and my senior year of college, I spent that summer putting on uh, or raising funds to put on a charity golf tournament that would go to benefit the schools that I grew up going to, Sevier County High School, uh, Sevier County School System. Now, Sevier County, Tennessee is where Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, Tennessee are. So my job was to go out and talk to these different business owners and ask them if they'd be willing to help support the school's uh, fundraising endeavor and uh, in, in whatever way they saw fit. So... 
I'm out one day at this massive shopping complex in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and I've just finished talking to all the vendors that I was going to be talking to that day, and I got into my car, which at that time in my life, my car was a blue Chevy Cavalier. Just take a minute and try and imagine this guy getting into a blue Chevy Cavalier, right? There was folding involved, I promise. Well, it was one of those kinds of cars that if you if you rubbed it on the carpet, like it went really well. You know what I'm saying? It was that that was the kind of car that I had. So I got into my blue Chevy Cavalier and I'm driving out of the mall and I look up in my rearview mirror and I see something really curious. I see a van following quite closely behind me and running on either side of the van are two police officers with their guns drawn and they're beating on the side of the van saying, stop, stop. Well... I was at this place in the road where if I stopped, the van behind me would have to stop. So I thought, all right, and I stopped. The van laid on its horn. When I didn't get out of its way, it nudged me, which wasn't a big deal because, again, I was driving a Cavalier, right? When I gathered myself and looked up in the rearview mirror again, I saw the police officers had now extended their guns facing them into the, the, the van and the people were getting out of the van. And what I was told later on when I was filling out my police report is that the people in that van had actually stolen thousands of dollars worth of merchandise from the shopping center that day and the police were trying to stop them. And I know what you're thinking. You think, we never knew our pastor was such a hero. <laughs> First of all, if there are heroes in that story, it's totally the police officers who were running alongside the van, Right? But here's the point that I want to illustrate. When that moment comes in our lives, for us to take a a stand, for us to show a little bit of courage, it comes just like that in an instant. I want to share a story about courage with you from Scripture today. A story about how God used the courageous action of one young man to set the stage for God to act. The story takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14 with me. I'm going to be reading today from the New Living Translation. Generally, I choose the New Revised Standard Version, but I'm using New New Living Translation. It just gives me a chance to say something to you once again from time to time. People will ask me, Pastor, what's the best translation of the Bible? And my answer without exception is, the translation you will read. Okay, so whatever your favorite translation is, that's the one you should be reading. This one comes from New Living Translation. It's a story about Jonathan. Who's Jonathan? Jonathan is the son of the king of Israel, a guy by the name of Saul. Saul would eventually be replaced by King David. But this is the story about Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, his father, Saul, who was the king, and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Stop there for just a second. Here's the first thing to note. The Israelite people were in crisis. They were in crisis. God had promised them a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They were in crisis because the Philistine people were trying to steal God's promise from them. And when we face crises in our lives, there are two ways we can respond. One is to address the crisis head on. The second way we could respond is to sit under a tree and eat pomegranates. You see, Jonathan decided to take the crisis on. The king who was empowered with an entire army, rather than taking action, 
decided to sit down and eat fruit under a tree. Watch what happens next. Look at verse 11. When the Philistines saw them, who was Jonathan and his standard bearer coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then they shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here. We'll teach you a lesson. Come on. Climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. Did you hear that? Today we're talking about what it looks like to go all out for Christ. Once my life is centered, how do I bring everything into alignment so that I'm going all out for my Lord and Savior, the one who went all out for me? And I just want to be really clear that if we are going to take on that challenge, the challenge of a lifetime and follow our God, one of the things we must be certain of, just as Jonathan was, we must be certain that God is going with us. Because God will. When God's people called by His name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sins. He will heal their lands. When our God calls us and we say we will go, God goes with us. I'll prove it. Look in verse 15. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck. And everything, everyone was terrified. You know what Jonathan did? Jonathan set the stage for God to act. His boldness, his courage set the stage for God to act. So I have two questions. Here's the first one. Has your life been courageous enough and bold enough to set the stage for God to act? And the second one is this. If the answer to that question is no, would you like your life to be courageous enough and bold enough to set the stage for God to act? And quite frankly, there are some people who would say no. No, thank you, sir. I prefer to be a rim hugger. I prefer to be a rim hugger. I experience few dangers. I experience few triumphs. I come home from work, take my kids to practice. Faith is something I do on Sunday morning. There are those people probably in this room, I want you to know you're welcome here. But there are some other people, other people who would say that they are dissatisfied and desperate for something, something powerful and real and all engaging from God. So let's say I am, I'm one of those, I'm one of those who is desperate for the infilling of God in my life. I'm willing to go all out for Jesus Christ. How do I do it? Well, here's what we've talked about so far. We talked about having the conversation, the fight inside of ourselves right now, committing ourselves right now that the next time my 20 seconds occur, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. That's the mindset. Now, let's talk about the strategy. Practically, how do we go out? I think this story from 1 Samuel chapter 4 teaches us about four things with regards to how we go all out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. Pick a fight. Pick a fight. Pick a fight. Don't stand on the edge anymore. Get in the game. Get in there. Pick a fight. But, make sure it's a fight you're passionate about. Because, There is nothing that will wear God's people out faster than fighting a fight they haven't been called to fight. Fighting a fight that uh, we haven't been inspired to fight. So pick the fight, but make sure you're passionate about the fight. 
or else all we'll do is exhaust ourselves along the way. Here's the second one. Play offense. Will you forgive the sports metaphor for me? Play offense. Remember that story? We talked about it a few months ago, but they're in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says to the disciples, but mostly to Simon, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Simon says back to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And as soon as Simon tells Jesus who Jesus is, Jesus tells Simon who Simon is, Jesus says, you're right, Simon, and you shall be called Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. The word is translated as church, but it means a a revolutionary people. You are the rock upon which I'm going to build my ecclesia, my revolutionary people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Think about that phrase for a moment. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who's the one in the defensive posture? Is it the church? No. It's, it's hell. Hell is the one who is under assault. What that tells us is that when Jesus Christ dreamed about the church, he dreamed about a group of people who would take the fight to the darkness. Play offense, church. But let me say this about playing offense. Playing offense doesn't mean we stop acting with love and kindness towards other people. I am keenly aware that we are in an election season right now. You know how I know? I can, I can feel people's anxieties up. Anybody else already tired of the election season stuff? Yeah, right? And listen... I, elections are important. I'm not trying to get down on the election. I'm, I'm getting down on the fact that in election season, we can start to buy into the idea that we're supposed to be each other's enemies. That's not true. In fact, Jesus calls us to do something fundamentally different than be each other's enemies. Here's my thing. I love the fact that there are people in this room who think government is the problem and other people in this room who think government is the solution. And at this moment, we have people holding those two different opinions and nobody's throwing a pew at anybody else. Maybe it's because they're bolted down. But I think it's probably because we recognize that while the beliefs we hold are important, there is one central belief that unifies us. It is the belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why when all the people, all the people, all the people gather, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. And what is every tongue going to say? It's going to say one thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. It is the most unifying principle in our lives as Christians that He is our Lord, which means I can be one thing and you can be another thing, but we come together as Christians in this place to do the mission that God has called us to do. Here's the thing. I think people, I think, I think we need to stand up for what we believe in without compromising what we believe in. So work hard. Play offense, man. But do so with love with kindness. Do so in a way that makes Christ happy. (laughs) Pick a fight. Play offense. And here's the one. Man, I wish this wasn't part of it. If we're going to go all out for Jesus Christ, somewhere along the line, we're going to have to face our fears. Just one time. I want God to call me to sit on my lazy boy and eat Oreos. Can I get an amen? Right? That's the kind of call I want for Jesus. You know why? I've been training for that my whole life, church. 
I would be good answering that call. Look at how righteous I am. But the truth is that our God doesn't call us to go to safe places and do easy things. God calls us to face our fears. And it's not easy. <laughs> this whole thing, this going all in and all out for Christ, it's not easy. But that's the only way. It's the only way that makes any sense as people of faith in Jesus Christ is for Him to be at the center. I saved the best one for last. We're going to go all out for Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing we need to remember. We need to count on God to shake the earth. Look back with me at 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 15. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including the outposts and the raiding parties, and just then an earthquake struck. God shook the earth. God shook the earth. Jonathan and his shield bearer climbed a mountain to fight an army while his dad rested under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan did what God called him to do and Jonathan would have been overtaken in time, but God showed up and shook the earth. And it's not the only time God does it. Right after the crucifixion, the Bible tells us that when Jesus dies, there was an earthquake and the temple, the veil in the temple was split from top to bottom, signifying that there's nothing separating us from the love and forgiveness and grace of our God any longer. When we do what God calls us to do, yep, it's going to require some offense. It's going to require us to face our fears. But when we do it, we need to count on the truth that our God is going to show up and shake this earth. It's a matter of faith. And unless I have it, I'm not likely to be successful at doing the thing that God calls me to do. Ask Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther took a stand. Different people in the Roman Catholic Church had made decisions that had compromised some of the integrity of the Roman Catholic Church since having reversed many of those decisions. But at the time, Martin Luther believed that the Roman Catholic Church was simply something he couldn't be part of anymore. And so he wrote down his complaints, 95 of them. They're called today the 95 Theses. And he took these 95 Theses, October 31st, 1517, he took them to the church he'd been attending in Wittenberg, Germany. And he took out a nail and a hammer and he nailed his 95 Theses to the front door of the church. Two things. First, please don't do that. We have a concern here. Secondly, please remember the email did not exist at this point, right? Or he could have just sent, sent the 95 theses. It's a nice little attachment. A few months later, Martin Luther was, draw, was brought before the bishop, his overseer. And the bishop told him that he needed to recant. Recanto, he said. And Martin Luther responded with some words that resonate throughout history. Martin Luther said, Here I stand. I can do no other. Here I stand. I can do no other. Who is it that God has been calling you to stand up for? The homeless? The fatherless? The voiceless? I love the Noah story. I particularly love the way Hebrews talks about the Noah story. Hebrews points out something that I think is really important to remember. Noah built the ark when no one had ever heard of rain before. 
Noah built the ark when no one had ever seen rain. Imagine how foolish he looked. But if we're going to go all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ, one barometer for our all-in-ness is a willingness to look foolish for the gospel. When's the last time that we were willing to look foolish for the gospel? When I finished with the Air Force, I was in a bit of a crisis. I had this lovely girlfriend. She was a doctor. Thankfully, she stuck around. I was changing jobs. I wasn't sure what God was calling me to do. I I knew what God was calling me to do, but I didn't want to do it. I, I was called to be a pastor. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Wanted to sit on the easy chair. Wanted to eat the Oreos. I should totally be able to get paid for that, don't you think? (laughs) It has been the absolute hardest thing I've ever done. Nothing has required more. But I'm confident at the end of my life, in addition to being Andy's husband and Brock's dad, Parker's dad, the moments of my life I will cherish are those 20 seconds. Those 20 seconds where God told me to be courageous for the kingdom. And I said yes. So when your 20 seconds come, what are you going to say? Will you make that decision now? Would you be willing to say, here I stand, I can do no other? Is today the day that you covenant with Jesus Christ that I'm going to go all out for you? Because you went all out for me. Let us pray. Holy, loving, and gracious God, thank you for all of your many blessings. We realize there have been some times we thought of ourselves more righteous than we are. Forgive us. Help us to start by clinging to grace and putting you at the center. And then, oh God, give us your grace to begin bringing alignment. Help us have the battle right now. The next time you call, we're going to say yes. 20 seconds of insane courage. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be your faithful, faithful followers. Thank you for going all out for us. Bless us, O God, so we can go forth and be a blessing, we pray. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.